Welcome to the Alien Nation podcast. This is the place where we talk all things alien and all things UFO. In season one, we're going to be covering all the hot topics. This is going to include George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell, Bob Lazar, the US Nimitz encounter, the Roswell crash, and is there a nuclear UFO agenda, and then also famous UFO landing cases that seem to be around schools. So stay tuned. examples of technology that is seemingly beyond human capability. Right, this, this came from somewhere else. I mean, as bizarre as that is to believe, but I mean, it's there. I saw it. I know what the current state of the art is in, in physics, and it's, it can't be done. Welcome back to the Alienation Podcast. I am your host, Lee Puxley, and I'm joined once again here by my co-host, Niall G. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, guys, we've got a really interesting one. We want to be talking about the possibility of there being a nuclear agenda in regards to these UFO reports and these UFO sightings uh, that have been reported all around the world. Yeah, it's a very detailed topic and subject, so there's a lot of names and people to cover, locations, so bear with us, guys. Yeah, as Niall said, it's going to be an interesting one, especially if uh, this is something you're new to. But, um, you know, hang in there with us, a lot of details and a lot of good stuff for you as well. So to give you a bit of background and a bit of context into what we're talking about, uh, during World War II, on July 16th, 1945, in the New Mexico desert, the United States actually became the first ever nation to successfully detonate the atomic bomb. Now, this uh, test program was actually called Trinity. That was the nickname that it was given. And it was just two weeks later that the United States actually used these weapons on Japan when they bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, that caused over 200,000 deaths, uh, a lot more injured, a lot more reported to have been poisoned, and it actually forced Japan to surrender. It sent shockwaves around all the nations around the world because it showed the, the, you know, the show of force that the US Army now had. And it began a nuclear arms race all around the world as people started to fight to, to create this technology. Uh, it started and, and, and kicked off the beginning of the Cold War between the USSR, which was obviously Russia, and uh, the US as well. Yeah, and then who they brought over for to help them with that was uh, Werner von Braun. He was a Nazi 
scientists and um they brought over about a hundred he brought also about a hundred top scientists over and um the this man was involved with building the v2 rocket for hitler in 1944 and they launched 1500 rockets towards england and about 500 landed on the mark okay and this is the same guy and his team that went on to build um they helped launch America's first V2 rocket, half German, half American, but it was the American's first two. And there, that year, they launched four rockets that year, the V2 rockets. They launched one on April 16th, 1946, uh, June 13th, October 10th, and December 17th. And these are the rockets that were used in the Apollo missions, well, to help get them to build up to the Apollo missions. Yeah, so Werner von Braun, he was a, a very influential figure when it comes down to, to, to space travel, and, and he was basically the, the creator of these rockets that you've just yeah, said. Yeah, and he, he was also one that had a Mars project, but um, yeah, he never got to see that through. <laughs> yeah, I wish we would have. <laughs> um, but going on from that, basically, um, there's so many different encounters in regards to, to you know nuclear activity and UFOs, and it was only two years later, from um, 1945, that we had two very infamous cases you have the ufo roswell crash which again was in new mexico where uh, officials claimed that they had actually collected a flying saucer uh, but then it was then retracted and told that it was just a weather balloon but we'll go into to greater details with that possibly in the, in the future in another episode the second case is what's called the kenneth arnold report now the kenneth arnold report again was in 1947 and um it was a, a very incredible case because Kenneth Arnold was a very reliable figure he was a commercial pilot from Idaho and he got a lot of media frenzy around this encounter that he's seen uh, the reason being is um, he actually said that he's seen nine flying disc-shaped objects they were traveling at incredible speeds they were performing incredible maneuverability they were flying in formation and they looked to be under some sort of intelligent control now this uh, media frenzy that came around it it basically uh, got a lot more media do you reckon than than the ending of world war ii itself so that's how important this case was at the time now uh, to, to go further with that the reason why the kenneth arnold situation is very very important is because it was just a stone's throw away it was just a few miles away from the hanford nuclear facility site now that nuclear facility site was was played a key role and was critical in the building of the atomic bomb itself and it's actually been said that without this site, it would never have been created as quickly as it was. Right. We've got so many other cases. Another case is uh, the Vandenberg Air Force case, which was uh, in 1964. Yeah, he was uh, Robert Jacobs. He was the lieutenant officer. And uh, his mission was to film the rocket at three stages, uh, the Atlas rocket at three stages. And... Um, this rocket was traveling between 11 and 14,000 miles per hour. Okay. And, and then uh, during this flight, uh, a saucer was seen. Yeah, so to, to basically go, uh, go ahead there, what Niall's saying is uh, back in, in 1964, uh, this Vandenberg Air Force case, there was uh, tests that were to be carried out, and these tests were to try and take uh, a weapon that was supposed to be getting sent to Moscow take it from 12 hours just down to 30 minutes in time yeah. a nuclear strike so it's been a, a very important thing to have done if they were able to do that 
Uh, these tests were set up. Robert Jacobs at the time was uh, giving control of the cameras and collecting the data. He thought that everything went well. The next day he was brought in by his superiors and he was shown the video footage of, of the recording and he was asked if he'd seen anything, if there was any sort of foul play involved, which he, he said no. And um, to his surprise, when he seen the video footage, he said the UFO traveling, you know, how, how many thousand miles? 11 to 14,000 miles per hour. 11 to 14,000 miles per hour, this UFO flies right alongside it, shoots a, a beam of light uh, at this dummy warhead, and it renders it basically it disabled it so all the tests were you know i think it actually shot two beams of light out there you go so two beams of light so for it to travel at them speeds to go around it to shoot these beams of light and then just shoot off from the camera yeah, in mid-flight it's incredible it's like. technology that even today that we still can't yeah. be able to do so yeah. back in 1964 this is incredible stuff yeah. uh, robert jacobs he's he was told to sign a disclosure agreement, so he was told never to speak about this. He did do many years later, and he's actually had uh, some colleagues that were with him at the time collaborate the story as well, so it gives a little bit more reliability um, and credibility to this story. Yeah, and he's even went on shows and talked about it and wanted to get um, different angles on it. And Yeah. He, he wants the truth out there, and it's the, the crazy thing about this is this isn't the only time that this has happened uh, something like this you've also got in 1967 you've got the Malsham Air Force Base uh, encounter now that involved Captain Robert Salas Captain Robert Salas has uh, climbed to rank of, uh, of captain he'd been in the, the Air Force for seven years and uh, on this very night in 1967 he had an incredible encounter he was actually 60 feet below in uh, the nuclear bunker he was the guy that was in charge of the nuclear missile, as he was a nuclear missile launch officer. So if the President of the United States gave him a call and said, we need to, to send these uh, nuclear weapons to whatever target, whether that's Russia or China, he was the guy who'd done that. He was the guy who pressed that red button and sent them. So when he's 60 feet below, um, he gets a phone call from the top guardsman. Yeah. Top guardsman uh, tells uh, Robert Salas that he sees this red glowing UFO object outside of the base and it's performing uh, incredible maneuvers and it's it's got no noise whatsoever uh, captain robert salas tells him to make sure it doesn't go above the base and to to ring him back if there's any sort of update on the situation mm. only a few minutes go by and the phone rings again this time the top guardsman is acting a lot more frantic he's a lot more worried he's shouting and screaming on the phone and what he's saying is that the uh, red glowing object is now directly above the silo, directly above these missile weapons. Now, a bit more context with that. These missile weapons, there was 10 of them in total, and each one was 100 times more powerful than the ones that hit Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? So that would have caused huge devastation if one of these were ever set off. So thank God that these were never yeah. ever sent off to anywhere in the world. Jeez, thank God for that. And... Um, Basically, while this UFO was over the silo, the top guardsman was on the phone to Captain Robert Salas, uh, telling them what's happening with them. You know, the UFO being above them. These um, red lights start going from red. Uh, well, sorry, from from uh, green to red, which basically means that they are now unlaunchable. And these this happened one at a time. So it wasn't just one missile that was rendered, um, you know, unlaunchable. It was ten, and it was all in a row, all at the same time, while this UFO was above the silo. So this can't be any sort of coincidence. Um, this has never happened before. This was something that, you know, Robert Salas was very worried about. Um, it took over 24 hours to get them missiles back on track, get them back working again. Full investigation was carried out. 
and Robert Salas again was forced to never speak about it again to uh, sign a disclosure agreement and he was actually told that that exact thing had happened a week earlier with the other crew that were on shift but he was never told of this scenario so again, uh, another incredible encounter. So many around nuclear facilities all, all the around. Time. Exactly. Um, th- this just doesn't happen in America. Everyone thinks that uh, all this happens in America. It doesn't. It's happened in RAF Bentwaters and Rendlesham Forest case. Um, it's happened reportedly in the Ukraine in 1982. Where also 86. In 86. Chernobyl. Supposedly. They were there after Chernobyl happened. Um, they were spotted around the location. So again, there's just so many different cases, not just in the US, uh, it's happened in the UK, it's happened in Russia, and I'm pretty certain it's probably happened in other places that we've never even heard of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to, to furthermore, to go to go even more in details with this, I've got uh, what, you know an amazing encounter or a close encounter of the third kind to talk about that again, is surrounding the New Mexico area. Yeah, it's a lot of activity around this New Mexico area. It's just It's so just like much. some sort of hotbed for, yeah, for, for hot UFO spot. activity so much like there's theories to saying some people that maybe they're recharging their crafts off the nuclear or they know that they were playing with some very dangerous toys yeah as i say i've got no um i've got no i don't really know why they're there what they're doing there but they're obviously doing it for some sort of reason james fox after speaking to robert salas himself um Robert Salas, you know, got asked that same question and he said that he felt like it was taking matches away from a baby. So he felt like that, you know, these crafts, these extraterrestrials that he believes were in them were were basically saying, what are you doing with these nukes? Stop messing around with them. You can't handle them. They're very dangerous. You're going to destroy your planet. And that's why they were switching them offline just like that. So to go back to this close encounter of the third kind in Socorro in New Mexico, you've got uh, Lonnie Zamora who at the time was a police officer. This is uh, back in 1964. Now, Lonnie Zamora, um, he was driving down the road. He was actually uh, in pursuit of what he called a reckless driver when he seen in the distance in, in the New Mexico area this, um, you know, a load of grey smoke. So he left the reckless driver and went to check it out. He thought it might have been a danger or a hazard to the community. As he gets there, he sees this large white object on the ground um, he also gets to see these small, what he described as children-like uh, figures walking around this object, but they had the back to him and they were wearing white suits. As Lonnie starts to exit the car, he's very scared, he's very confused, he doesn't know what's going on. One of these figures turned around directly and looked right at uh, Lonnie Zamora, right in the face. Uh, Lonnie was, again, very scared, very terrified, wasn't too, too sure what to do at this time. These figures reportedly walked around the craft. Lonnie Zamora starts to get closer to the craft, apparently become uh, about 50 feet away from the craft. Mm. Um, when this craft lifted up 20 to 30 feet in the air, hovered with no noise whatsoever, but there was an extreme heat that he could feel coming from it. And then just as you know, quickly it snapped off like that right into the, uh, you know, uh, away from him. Uh, Lonnie Zamora ended up phoning, you know, the police force and, um, all these other agencies came in to investigate and there was physical evidence left on the ground and uh, there was things like bear marks on the floor there was four landing markings found on the floor which Lonnie Zamora preserved this evidence by putting stones around them them stones are still here today in the oh, Socorro Desert you can go visit them um, and they also find, found two lots of tiny footprints in the ground Yeah, 
This is physical evidence that was left at this site. Now, this case is so important, again, because it's around this nuclear facility site. You've got a reliable, credible person, such as Lonnie Zamora. Uh, there. You've got physical evidence on the ground showing and, and proving the case. And it was actually Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the head of Project Blue Book at the time, which was a, a U.S. government-funded um, program to, to try and basically dismiss this UFO phenomenon and, and try and describe it away as uh, meteors or asteroids or whatever, or swamp gas or whatever yeah, the excuses that they try to say. Um, can't use that one anymore. No, can't yeah. use that one anymore. So uh, he was basically a disbeliever at the start of this uh, program. When he seen the Lonnie Zamora case, he actually changed his mind. He he then became a big believer that something is going on and that there is something visiting our planet. Uh, Jack Ballet, who was his right-hand man at the time, said that this case, it's not a nice little case, this has happened many times, it's even happened in France, in his hometown in France. Yeah, there's a lot of sightings in France. There's a lot of countries around the world that have their, that people don't know, like Peru have their own uh, team to investigate UFOs. Yeah, France does as well, supposedly. Yeah, it's it's just crazy because there's so many um, reports, and, and nowadays this, this taboo subject is starting to go away, but... There does seem to be a pattern and the UFO community have come together, they've looked at the evidence and they've seen these patterns that they do seem to be in around nuclear facilities, in around military bases, almost like they're, they're trying to keep on track of our technology, uh, maybe maybe they're just trying to see what stages we're at and, and hopefully that one day we don't harm the planet like we could have if one of them uh, missiles would have actually went off. Yeah, and they, or they're here visiting they're obviously checking up on us but there's the theories too like i was saying that people are saying that they're somehow using these to power the crafts or recharging their crafts off it one of the theories who knows guys we don't know um it's something that we discuss on a daily basis it's something that we want you to discuss uh we're open to ideas and we'd just like to thank you for uh, for watching guys and hope you enjoyed the show today yeah i hope you enjoyed it guys and uh, stay tuned for more see you soon